week. It's great to see you here this morning. You know, how we perceive things, how we see things is different. There was a homeless man in Dallas who was near Macy's, and he came upon a woman who, who was noticeably, she was chubby, and she was wealthy. I mean, it's kind of obvious. And he just said, ma'am, I, I haven't eaten in four days, and that is code for, can you help me get something to eat? And she looked at him and said, sir, I sure admire your self-discipline. It's perception. <laughs> a man had the privilege of talking to God, and he asked God, he said, God, I have two questions for you. He goes, God, what is a million dollars like to you? And God says, well, I, the way I see it, a million dollars is like a penny. He said, God, how, how long is a thousand years to you? And he said, it's like a second. A thousand years like a second. The man said, God, can I have a penny? And God said, I'll give it to you in a second. <laughs> Perception, isn't it? Perception. If you don't believe we have different perceptions of things, I challenge you this week, tomorrow night from 7 to 8, watch CNN, and then from 8 to 9, watch Fox News. You will see the world has different perceptions. Amen? John chapter 4, we're going to see Jesus' view of people. And as I worked on this sermon this week, I realized this, this could be a, a series in and of itself, so I'm going to try in about 25 minutes to touch on the highlights of how Jesus sees you and how he sees me and how he sees the world. And, and it really is. It's beautiful, wonderful things, at least it, it is in my opinion. And let's begin with this. Jesus loves people regardless of their race. When Jesus sees people, Jesus sees people he loves despite any thing about their ethnicity, anything about their racial makeup. In verse 1 through 4, it says, When Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, verse 2, although Jesus himself didn't baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and he departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. Now, if you were here last week, it's going to be a quick review. If you weren't here, uh, this kind of catch you up to speed on this story. And we're, by the way, we're going to be in this chapter for the next few weeks. Jewish people hated Samaritans. Now, Jesus didn't hate these people, but they hated Jewish people as a large part. The Samaritans hated the Jews. The Jews hated Samaritans. Uh, Jesus was Jewish by, by his race. Uh, by birth as well as his religion. And this hatred literally went back almost 700 years. To give you some context, uh, July the 4th, America's going to be 241 years old. So, I mean, that lets you know this hatred went back a long, long, long way. And here was the, the root of it. Uh, in 720 B.C., somewhere around there, 720 years before Christ, the Jewish people had divided themselves into two nations. They called the northern nation Israel. That was 10 of the 12 tribes. The southern nation was called Judah. That was two of the tribes. And in about 720, 722 A.D., the Assyrians came in and conquered the northern kingdom. And when they did, they took a lot of the Jewish people back to Assyria. They left some there, and they put Assyrian people there. They had them intermarry, intermingle, intermix. And then they let Jewish people come back who had intermarried, intermingled, and intermixed. And the, I'll go back to that in a second. The southern kingdom was later invaded too by Babylon and overtaken. But the Jewish people in the southern kingdom stayed pure 
And this is important to them racially and religiously where the northern kingdom did. Now, you, this doesn't make sense to you and me, but to a, a devout Jew, especially back then, and even today there would be some truth to this, for a Jewish person to marry a non-Jewish person and for them to practice another religion besides pure Judaism was heresy. They considered the Samaritans half-breed mongrels. They considered them half-breed mongrels uh, racially and religiously. They hated the, the Samaritans. And as I said last week, it's real hard when people hate you because of your color or your race or your ethnicity or your religion. They hate you because of those things. It, you have to be very mature and godly not to hate them back. Well, Cindy, bring me my little pointer, please. I left it there. Put the map on the screen, and I'm going to show you. Oh, that wouldn't have been good. Thank you. That's why we put the green dot on the wife for doing that. Okay, this is Palestine in Jesus' day. Uh, it's, it's really, it's divided in two sections. Here's Judea. This is where Jerusalem is. Jesus is in Judea at this time. Here's Galilee. Jesus was raised in Nazareth. There's the Sea of Galilee. Now, splitting this 120-mile country is Samaria. Their enemies are right in the middle of them. And so, a lot of the Jewish people, if they're in Jerusalem and they want to go to Galilee, instead of taking the straight route, which took about three days, they would actually cross over the Jordan River, go up here, and then cross into Galilee, which took six or seven days. They would take a trip. They would, instead of a three-day trip, they would take a six or seven-day trip because they did not even want to look at these people. They didn't want to see these people. They didn't want to be around these people. But it said in verse 4, Jesus had to go through Samaria. So right off the bat, we're seeing when it comes to, to racism, and prejudice, Jesus Christ is going to blow it away. He's going to blow it away. We'll see in just a second. But here's the, I guess I'd say comforting, or maybe it helps you realize this isn't a new thing. Racism goes back probably to the beginning of mankind. Whenever there became a little bit of a difference in people, people began to look down on someone who didn't look like them. And it's continued throughout our history. Folks, this, this, is, uh, this isn't all of it, but I'm telling you, a big part of World War II, a war that just devastated countries, hundreds of millions, I mean, people, millions and millions, millions of people died because of World War II. A big part of that was racism. The Jewish people were hated by the Nazis. The, the Nazis looked at Jewish people as rats, the, the Japanese, not all Japanese, but the, especially the militant military Japanese looked at the Chinese as cockroaches. They looked at people who were not uh, Japanese as subhuman. We understand that. I mean, if you studied a little history, think about that. Now, I, I grew up in the South. I've been in the South my whole life. Uh, it, we would not be being honest if we didn't say that, that racism has been a part of of. The South, it's been a part of the North, it's been a part of our country. White people, black people, brown people disagree and not getting along simply because we look different. White people have certainly been very guilty of that. When I moved to Ruston, I talked to an African-American pastor after I'd been here shortly, and I was asking him, how is the racial tension in Ruston? And, and it was interesting what he told me. He goes, well, it's, it's real. It's there. He said, I, sadly, this was an African-American pastor saying, I think it's worse sometimes with African-Americans towards the white people. And we, and we know that 
that strong on both sides. It has been in our, our country's past, for sure. When I moved out to West Texas, where I grew up, there wasn't anybody Hispanic. I mean, there was 60% white, 40% African-American where I grew up. In West Texas, you have a lot of Hispanics. And it, it didn't make any sense to me at all why white people didn't like someone who was Hispanic and why Hispanics didn't like someone who was white. You know why that, you know what the problem of that, that's just sin. That's what the problem of it is. Now let's look at it, how Jesus is going to deal with it. Verse 5 and 6, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was, you see the humanity of Jesus, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, that's about noon. We've got a picture of of, uh, Jacob's well kind of modernized. Jacob's well back in Jesus' day, was about 100 feet deep. It was about 9 feet in, in diameter. It was very wide. And it was not a spring-fed well. It was a, a, wa- a rain well. It got w- rainwater. So Jesus is sitting there. He's tired. And he's fixing to have an encounter that's going to be pretty neat. Verse 7 through 9, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. A Jewish person wasn't supposed to talk to, much less drink from the same pitcher or the same cup that a Samaritan drank from. But in this one little story, Jesus takes racism and he stomps it on his head. Here's the coolest thing ever. Jesus does not care what your color is. Jesus does not care what your ethnicity is. Jesus loves everybody like we're all green. Isn't that great? No, pastor, it's terrible. Y'all with me? You know, there may be somebody here today, maybe you're you're watching on the internet, that needs to hear this because the people you've been around, the Christians you've been around, the churches you've been around have made you feel less than. But it is such an awesome thing to know that when we sang red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in Jesus' sight in Bible school years ago. They sing a lot different songs today. That it was absolutely the truth. If you're looking at the Jesus of the Bible, he loves people despite whatever race there may be from. Now, how does that apply to you if you're a Christian today? Go, well, I don't struggle with God loving me if I'm white, I'm African-American, if I'm, I'm Asian, I'm Hispanic. How does that affect how you love other people? 1 John 2, 6, listen to this verse. It says, whoever says he abides in him, whoever says he's a Christian, ought to walk in the way that his mom and his granddaddy and his great-grandparents walk. Is that what it says? Is that what it says? No, it says if you are a Christian, you should be like who? You should be like Jesus. Now, Christian, if you're a Christian, you hear me on this. This isn't coming from me. This is coming from God. You cannot dislike, mistreat someone because their skin color is different from you and say you have a strong walk with God. 
As a church, we cannot say, we're going to be a church for this color. And say that we are a Christian church. The church is the body of Jesus Christ. And, and when it came to racism, Jesus wasn't going to play. He could care less what the social norm of the people in his world was today. He loved everybody despite their race. That's our call too. In 1906, over 100 years ago, there was a great revival in California. It was called the Azusa Street Revival. It, it was considered to be the, the birth of what's modern-day Pentecostalism in America. It was an African-American preacher who led out in that. And, and people, white people, African-American, Hispanics, Asians, all were coming and coming to Jesus Christ. Here's what one historian later said about that great revival. He said, the color line was washed away by the blood of Jesus. Isn't that great? That's worth remembering. Folks, I hope that you are taking this in. I can't tell if you didn't have enough coffee or not this morning. But, man, when it comes to racism, Jesus doesn't play. He expects the same thing with us. Here's the second thing. Jesus loves people despite any worldly prejudice. Despite any worldly prejudice. You see, the Jewish Samaritan thing was not just a race thing. It was a religious thing. It was also a social economic thing. Most of the Samaritans probably were very poor. They were lower class people. And so the Jewish people looked down upon them for, for numerous reasons, not only just a racial reason. A, a Jewish person, again, they would not, they would say, I would rather eat pork, and, and Jewish people would only eat pig, than they would eat with a Samaritan. They absolutely despised them. And you know this prejudice is not just racial. It can be social economic. I wonder, there's nobody in this room, I'm sure, but there are people in the world who think that they are superior because they have more money. Have you ever known anyone like that? Have you ever thought about that? Do you really think that God is impressed with your car? I seriously may be. God's probably not. Well, have you seen my house? I, your house may be awesome. God, God's not impressed with it, is he? You, you know, sometimes there's an educational, intelligent prejudice. Of course, in Ruston, that would never exist, would it? But we look down on people because we got a higher IQ or we have more education. So, therefore, we are, are better than them or our mom and dads happen to be somebody or, or whatever it is. It, we're living in a world today where gender is becoming a, a type of prejudice. In Jesus' day, listen, this was a big thing that he's talking to a woman. We're going to see in a moment. But in Jesus' day, a strict rabbi, a religious Jewish teacher, would not speak to a woman in public. And there was a type of Pharisee. The Pharisees were kind of the green beret of the, the Jewish people. They were called the bloody and bruised Pharisees because when they would see a woman walking down the street, they would close their eyes. They would not only speak, they wouldn't look at her. And they would oftentimes run into walls and to trees and therefore bust up their face. And they were called the bloody and bruised Pharisees. There was a gender bias in that day. There's a gender bias today. How many of you know who Bette Midler is? You know who Bette Midler is? Bette Mittler tweeted this after the second London terrorist attack, the knife attack. She tweeted, men and religion are worthless. Now, Beth is not smart enough to know there was also women arrested in that terrorist attack. Did you know that too? 
But there's a, there's a gender bias, and people sometimes are, don't like someone because they're a man or someone because they're a woman or whatever. There's a religious bias. Ron Brown was, uh, uh, still is a football coach, but he used to coach at Nebraska, coach at Nebraska for years. I got to hear him speak several years ago. He's a great Christian man, a great man. In 2002, now this is 15 years ago, he interviewed to be the head coach at Stanford University in California. They told him that they were not hiring him because he was too strong in his Christian beliefs and his views against homosexuality. Ron Brown said, if they would have told me they weren't hiring me because I'm African-American, the world would have come unglued. But nobody cared that they weren't hiring me. They were biased because I was a Christian. Hey, Christian, let me fill you in. It's coming, brother. But we can't play that way towards other people. We can't be that way. In verse 9, again, let's read. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is that you, a Jew, ask for me a drink? I'm a woman, a woman of Samaria. Jews have no dealing with Samaritans. And verse 27 sheds a little more light on this. Just then the disciples came back. They had been, been into town. They marveled that he was talking with what? A woman. See, I'm not making this up. Here's the great thing for you this morning. You may in your life have experienced prejudice. You may have experienced racial prejudice, intellectual snobbery. Your mom and dad weren't up to someone else's standard, whatever it was. But Jesus Christ loves you despite any worldly prejudice. Isn't that great? But not only that, as a Christian and as a church, Jesus calls us to live that out. We don't look down on people. We don't mistreat people because they have a different look or a different religion or because of their social or economic standards. As a church, we're trying to reach everybody, not just one type of person. We want to reach everybody. That's what the Bible tells us to do. When it comes to the the, the different types of, of prejudice in the world today, Jesus Christ blows them all away. He loves everybody despite those things. Now, here's the third thing that I know will hit some of us hard today. Jesus loves us despite our past. Jesus loves us despite our past. Maybe you did okay on these first two, but these next two, I'm going to get you on one of them. Verse 16 through 18, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and have him come here. And the woman answered, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband. You can't lie to Jesus, can you? That's like Jesus asking you, how many donuts are you eating today? I hadn't eaten any. You've already eaten three. <laughs> For you have five husbands. You've had five husbands, verse 18. And the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. Verse 19, she stumbles out. I think you must be a prophet. <laughs> Jewish people held in this day that a woman could be married and divorced two, maybe three times. That was acceptable. And if the Samaritans held to a same standard, then this lady's past was not very kosher. And I'm going to show you in a minute that obviously she was kind of an outcast from her society. I wonder this morning how many of us are carrying around some stuff that other people know. We just can't shake it. People look down on us. We feel the burden of it. We feel the stress of it. Maybe you've tried to get it right with God and you just can't get past it. Let me tell you something this morning. 
Jesus Christ loves you despite anything in your past. He doesn't approve of it. He wants you to get it right with him. He wants you to get it right with whoever you need to. But despite whatever's happened in your past, and and don't fool yourself, Jesus knows. Jesus loves you despite it. Now, what, what does that say to us as a church and to Christians if you're a Christian? How do we treat people? Well, we live in a world that tells us today that we have to approve of of everything someone does or we hate them, right? So you love the sin and you love the sinner. But that's not what God does. Some Christians, I think, at least what I've experienced, is we hate sin and we hate the sinner too. (laughs) That's not right. See, the way Jesus sees people is exactly how we're to see people. And that means despite their past, despite what's gone on, despite what's in their history, we don't approve of it, but we approve of them. And we love them despite. Folks, the church is a a place for the saints and it's a place for the sinners. And we love people despite whatever has gone on in their lives. Let me give you another thing here. Jesus loves us despite what's wrong in our lives today. You see, some of us today, we don't have a bad past. We have a bad present. You had an interesting night last night or an interesting weekend. In verse 18 again, Jesus says, For you have had five husbands, and the one that you're living with now is not your husband. She didn't only have some issues back there. She had some issues currently. Let's jump back to verse 6 and look at verse 6. It says, Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Now, it's real easy to miss this. The six hours at Jewish accounting is 12 o'clock noon. Women usually went to the well in groups. It was their social time. But you went to the well in the morning. You went to the well in the evening. This is the Middle East where it gets to be 140 degrees. You didn't go to the well by yourself in the middle of the day. Also, there were this well, some archaeologists and scholars say it was probably 20 to 30 minutes from Sikhar, this town. There's wells closer to the town. Why is this lady going by herself to the farthest place in the middle of the afternoon. You know why? Because she doesn't want to bump into anybody. This lady has a bad reputation. Not just a bad past. She's got a bad present. And the other women and the other people in the village don't want to be around her or have anything to do with her. She wasn't the perfect woman. What do the perfect woman and UFOs have in common? Men have been hearing about them for years, but no man has ever seen one. Come on. There's no perfect men either. Ladies, you okay with that? But here's the great news this morning. The great news this morning. Hey, some of you need to wake up. Your life's a train wreck, and you're wallowing in sin. 
But Jesus loves you despite it. Isn't that great? He loves you way too much to leave you where you are, but he's not waiting on you to get cleaned up to come to him. He wants you to come to him so he can clean you up. He loves you just the way you are, but too much to leave you the way you are. Christian, this is our call. Church, this is our call. We're not supposed to be snooty for God. We don't push away people who got some stuff on them. We love them. We don't approve of it, but we love them. It's a true story. Before I was a Christian, one of my sisters, who was a strong Christian, was trying to get me in the right group. So she fixed me up with this sweet Christian girl. And... And so I'm really minding my P's and Q's. I mean, I'm not cussing. I'm not, I'm just trying to behave. I'm trying to, I had, you know, my tobacco was all hidden, everything, no alcohol, nothing. I was straight. And so she doesn't know me at all. And in the middle of the supper, she goes, I just hate people who party. And I like to swallow my fork. Because at that point in my life, I love nothing more than to party. (laughs) And I guarantee you the next night when I wasn't around her, that's what I was doing. That wasn't right. But I'm just telling you, that's a horrible approach and not a Christ approach. I got to know that girl later, and that's not really who she was. But if you hate people who party, you know what? When we give the invitation, would you come and get saved this morning? Because you're religious, but you're lost. Amen? If you approve of it and waller in it, you got a problem too. You see, the the neatest thing, the call of the Christian and the call of the church is we are not to be in sin, but we are to be sinner-friendly. Isn't that great? That's who Jesus was. The outcast morally of the town is the woman he was sitting around having a cup of coffee with at noontime at the well. See, Jesus loves you and me despite our past and our present, and he expects us to extend that grace to people too. I want to read you something This is from a funeral where Rudy Giuliani, Rudy was the mayor of New York City when 9-11 happened. Jim Cimbala is the pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle. Four of his church members died in the towers, and one of them was a policeman, and Rudy came to the church to speak. Listen to what Rudy said, and I'm, I'm reading it. He says, you know, people, I've learned a lot of things through all this. Let me see if I can express some to you. When everybody was fleeing those buildings and the cops and the firefighters and the EMS people were heading up into it, do you think any of them said, I wonder how many blacks are up there for us to save? I wonder what the percentage of white people are up there. How many Jews or Italians are in the building? Let's see, are these people making more than $400,000 a year or is there some of the $24,000 a year in the group? Rudy went on, he says, no, when you're saving lives, they're all precious. And that's how we are supposed to live all the time. How would you want it if the cops to treat you if you were on the 75th floor of one of those towers? Would you have wanted them to say, excuse me, I need to get to your boss. He has more social standing than you. No, you wouldn't. Rudy said, I must confess, I haven't always lived this way, but I'm convinced this is how God wants us to live, to value every human life the way he does. Wow. Jim Symbol has said in that one speech, Rudy preached the gospel and the truth that Jesus came to our mess not to leave us in it, but to rescue us from it. 
Loving us the whole time and all through it. That's what he says to you. That's what he's calling us to be and do as Christians and as a church. Will you pray with me? This morning, if you're, if you're a Christian, I challenge you and I challenge me to live up to what God's calling us to live up to and to be who God's calling us to be. If you're not a Christian and you're ready today to give your life to Christ, in love, He is here waiting to meet you. If you'll come to Him, you've got to come to Him. If you're ready, pray with me where you are and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to turn from my sins. And Jesus, I accept that you're God's son and that you died and arose for me. Come into my heart, Jesus. And I surrender my life to you this morning. Let me have your attention. We're going to stand in just a second. And when we do, I want to challenge you. You just prayed and asked Christ in your life. or you are ready to do that? You've got to respond to Christ. Well, you can talk to us after church or when we stand in a moment, you can come and give your life to Christ. Let's do it this morning. Maybe you're here today and you'd like to join our church. You can do that after church too. Or you can come when we stand. And you can join us. I've kind of laid out today some of the fundamentals about who... We are as a church. Come and join us if that's what you're looking for. Christian, maybe you do need to get some things right where you're standing or at the altar. Let us help you with that. Christian, maybe where you're standing or praying with a minister at the altar, you need to say to God, Jesus, help me to see people as you do. Help me to help my church be the church that you would have us to be. We've got to respond. Now's the time. Let's stand. You come as God leads you. You respond as God's leading you.